Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Flying solo today, JT off, celebrating his birthday. So we've got you all the way through until 7 o'clock. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Friday. Going to talk some NFL football, some Browns football right now. The big story of the day. Uh, the headline reads from ESPN.com, NFL salary cap rises $30.6 million to a record $255.4 million per team. Is that good news for the Cleveland Browns? Let's find out by going to the hotline right now and bringing in the outstanding Browns beat reporter, brownzone.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Petrack. Scotty, how excited are the Browns today, Andrew Barry and company, when they heard that number? Yeah, I, I think they are, Kenny. I mean, yeah, every time I talk to Andrew Barry about the salary cap, he says that they, you know, he thinks they're really good at managing it and that they can handle, like, they can always do whatever moves they want, right? They can maneuver the cap however they want to create the room to get whatever signings, whatever trades they want, they want to do. But having 30 million, you know, 30 extra million dollars makes that easier, right? I think it, it requires less gymnastics, tries less going to players and saying, okay, can we restructure this? Can we add on years at the end? Whatever it is, can, you know, converting salary into bonus. I think it just makes it easier. It makes it easier for everybody across the league, but the Browns are pretty tight against the cap. So I, I do think they thought, okay, this is a good thing. Although I will say, you know, I think they think they're so good at managing the cap that maybe an explosion of the cap they think doesn't help them as much as it might help some other teams who just aren't as good as handling their cap situation as the Browns think they are. Is that an arrogance that could hurt them, or is it a good thing, Scotty? Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it can hurt them, Kenny. I mean, I know where you're going with that, um, but I really do think that you know we talk about the Ivy League educations, right, and all the big diplomas that they have in that building, and. Right. It feels like one tangible place where that can help and that can show up. Um, you know, eventually you're probably going to have to pay the piper. We saw it with the Rams. We haven't seen it yet with the Saints. You know, they kick the can down the road continually, and they haven't had to, you know, have that reckoning. And, you know, I don't know if the Browns will ever have to get there. If the cap keeps going up a ton and they manage it correctly, maybe they don't have to have that, they, you know, that year where they have to cut a bunch of guys to get under the cap. Um but I, I think I kind of trust them when they say that they're really good at managing the cap. All right, Scotty. So for our listeners out there, if the salary cap is two fifty five point four million, two hundred fifty five million point four, right? Yeah. That means the Browns have to get to that number, correct? They have to be at that number or below it before the season starts. Yeah, before the league year starts. So that's March okay. Thirteenth. So you have to start the league year under the cap. Um, and then after that, you know, after that it gets confusing, right? Like, do you always have to be under it? Because then teams get over it, <laughs> you know? So right. I know that to start the league year, you have to be under it. And then in order to bring in new players, like I'm trying to remember the perfect example. I, I think when they traded for Mari Cooper, right, and they took on his $20 million a year contract, in order to make that happen, they had to 
either cut somebody or restructure. So that happens throughout the year where you have to make sure you have the cap room. Now, I think it gets a little more flexible than it does on March 13th, right? The start of the league year, it's a hard and fast. Everybody's under here. Um, but then it doesn't, like, it doesn't disappear. You still have to stay within the cap, um, which requires some maneuver. Where are they right now, Scotty? I saw something with a number of $6.2 million. Is that under the cap, over the cap? Was that before today or after right. today? I mean, the, the last thing, I, it's so <laughs> it's hard to get a grip, right? Like, I mean, I yeah. try to study it as much as I can, but you know, it's the top 51 salaries that count against it, and you can always maneuver numbers, and I don't know if all these sites have like the perfect, like the current contracts for everybody. You know, you think you try to get a hand on it. I think they're six to seven million over the cap as of right now. Now, I don't know if that means that come March thirteenth, some contracts disappear, right? Guys are become free agents. So, for example, Zadarius Smith, whatever, ten, twelve million dollars comes off the board, like off the books. So I don't know if that automatically puts them under. Um, I don't. I know that they don't have to do any significant maneuvering before March thirteenth. Like that, I don't think there's going to be anything crazy that happens. Before then, you could see, I mean, you could always see, you know, Deshaun Watson's salary converted to, um, you know, pushed up, and then that creates room just to have that room. But I don't think you're going to see any cuts, significant cuts, just to create that that space. All right, so let's talk about the the rumors that have been flying all week long, and it pertains to the salary cap, but also pertains to one of their best players when he's healthy, and that's Nick Chubb. How how much credence is there to, hey, they're going to cut Nick Chubb, or they're going to trade Nick Chubb? I mean, I've seen this all over social media all week, and I just scratch my head, so help me out there, Scotty. Well, the the reasoning behind these stories, or these, whatever, analysis, um, yeah. The reasoning is sound, and that's Nick Chubb is going to have like a 16, 15 or $16 million cap hit. They could cut him, and they would only, I think it's $4 million in dead cap space. So you save $12 million in salary cap space. And the Browns would have that discussion, period, because it's a running back, and it's a lot of money to pay a running back. I think with Nick Chubb, they've made an exception. They always have, right? Andrew Barry inherited Nick Chubb. He gave him the extension. You know, he's arguably the you know, favorite person in the building, right? The guy that the coaches point to is the perfect example. So yep. I, I don't think Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta ever wanted to pay running back what they're paying Nick Chubb, but they've made that exception, and I think that's obviously the right move. I think it's the right move, and I think it's good on them for being as flexible as they have been with Nick Chubb. But that would always be a discussion with the running back, period. When you throw in a running back who had two knee surgeries, multiple torn ligaments, other damage inside the knee, and it's the same knee that he's had major surgery on in college, then that creates more questions, right? So I don't think Nick Chubb is playing 2024 at the, number, at the salary he has under his contract. So that's why people make this, you know, go to these, jump to these conclusions. Having said that, I expect, and Andrew Barry said it, that they'll figure out a way to make it work. They'll restructure, whether they turn salary into incentives, whether they add years to the contract, um, whatever it is, the Browns are going to give Nick Chubb an offer that changes his salary cap commitment for 2024 and gives him the chance to stick around at least for 2024. Now, if Nick Chubb says, no, I don't want to take any less money, and this is a deal we sign, um, 
you know, that could create problems. So I don't think it's a done deal that it's going to be worked out between these sides, but I expect it to because Nick Chubb knows as well as anybody that his future is in question, and he's not going to go somewhere else and sign another contract worth $15 million a year until, unless and until, he performs at the same level he had been, right? So I think yeah. it makes sense for both sides, uh, but that number is why there's so much conversation about this. All right, Scotty, what about other players that might be uh, in the crosshairs of Andrew Barry to try and restructure contracts to help with the salary cap? I mean, you got to look at guys making a bunch of money, right? And they are, last year, in order to, it was during training camp, they restructured a bunch of guys to create salary cap space so they could roll it over into 2024 because they knew that they would be tight against the cap. That's David Njoku and Miles Garrett in guards, Joe Batonio and Wyatt Teller. So I don't know if those guys, if they could do it again with them. I certainly know you can restructure Deshaun Watson's contract. Um, you can continue to do that to create space. Now it just bumps it down the road, right? And the salary cap number gets bigger and bigger the longer we get away from here. But you can do it for 2024, just like they did for 2023. Um, right. Denzel Ward is an option, right? He's a guy with $20 million, you know, I'm using round numbers here, but $20 million contract, right? So there's room there. Um, you know, maybe Dalvin Thomason, he's a big money guy last year. Is his contract structured where you can do it? But the guy to keep an eye on, Kenny, and I think it's an interesting like interesting case, is Amari Cooper, right? He's due about $20 million in 2024. So, and it's the last year of his contract. So you could add years at the end of it, right? Go to him with an extension, add years, um, which would just lower the cap number by adding more years. But then you're paying him into his 30s. Right, and and I don't know if they want to do that. You're committing to him into your into his 30s, or do you just let it ride and pay him the 20 million dollars? And if you're going to do that, then is the discussion do you just pay him that, or is there a way to move the salary to bonus, give him a bunch of money before March, right, or March? You know, I'm the day that started the league year, and then that can create create cap space. So he's a guy I watched, and I think I don't have any doubt that he's going to be here. Right, he's their number of receivers. A huge gap between him and whoever is behind him on that depth chart. But they could have they have a decision to make with how they want to handle the $20 million for 2024. Happy to have with us outstanding Browns beat reporter Scott Petrack. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Petrack. Read his stuff daily at brownzone.com. All right, Scotty, this number comes out today. Manipulating the salary cap is their specialty. So uh, what's their, their desire who, who's their target that uh, when, whenever that first day comes, whenever you're allowed to, to go after a, a free agent in the NFL, who, who's the guy they're, they're going to go after and try and make a splash on day one? Well, I, I'm going to give you three positions. It's receiver, right. defensive end, defensive tackle. To me, those are by far the, the first three positions, right? They probably need a linebacker, but I don't think they make a splash linebacker. That's not They don't value that position enough. So it's receiver and then the defensive line. And in each spot, you have things that come into play. You have the draft, right? And we don't, they don't have the first, a first round pick for the third straight year. It's the last year that they gave up for Deshaun Watson. But Thank goodness. Pick. Yeah, right? But you have a second round pick. So let's, at defensive end or receiver, you could say, okay, you draft a guy there. You think he can come in, have an instant impact. At receiver, you pair him with Cooper and Elijah Moore, and Cedric Tillman, and David Bell, and then tight end David Njoku. And you say, okay, that, we can live with that receiving crew. We kind of like that group. 
If you put him at end, you got maybe a long-term bookend for Miles Garrett. Plus, you have Obo Okoronkwo. You have Alex Wright. You drafted Isaiah McGuire a year ago. So, all of a sudden, you have a group there. But if you don't want to go young and you say, let's target one guy, you know, is it bringing back to Darius Smith at defensive end? Um, you know, T. Higgins, I, the more I think about it, the more I don't think he's the guy they go after. Gabe Davis, I think, is intriguing um, from Buffalo. He's a speed guy. Now, you know, I saw today that maybe he's going to make $13 million. You know, that's a lot for a number two receiver that's been really up and down with Buffalo. But I like some of the things he does for you. I think he's a compliment, the kind of compliment you're looking for. Um, you know, so, and then D-tackle, right? Is there a D-tackle out there that just jumps off the page? I don't know if they go back-to-back years where they spend their most money on D-tackle because they did that with Dalvin Tomlinson. So, like, I feel they're in a good spot where most of the roster is set, yet there's these specific needs, but they can be filled a bunch of different ways. And I don't know if, and I think for the first time in a long time, the roster doesn't scream they need a guy at a specific spot. Now, we could argue about receiver, right? And I know that they need receivers, but I don't know if on day one you go, they have to get a top five free agent receiver. I just don't know if the roster's set up like that because I think they've built so much depth and I think it's pretty good across the roster. Scotty, what about the fact, though, at the receiver position with Amari Cooper, no question, clear-cut number one receiver, uh, and if they lose him uh, with the current guys that are on the roster, they'd really be hurting, right? But do you target a big-time receiver like a T. Higgins, right, this year with the thought of him being your number one receiver next year when you'll get rid of Amari Cooper? Yeah, like I think that's a completely legitimate option, Kenny. I I really do. And... (sighs) Which, I, which means I think they have a lot of flexibility. And okay. they can kind of set their price, right? This is how what we're willing to spend. And it's probably more today than it was yesterday, you know, unless they knew what the cap number was. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like, okay, we have even more flexibility. I, I think that is a long-term plan, is get that guy in there. You pay one year, two guys a bunch of money in at that receiver position. And that's something Andrew Barry does not want to do, right? They did it with OBJ and Jarvis Landry. And that's just not how they're set up from a cap structure. They like to pay one guy at receiver, but maybe for one year you make that exception, right? If the right guy is out there, you know, if it's Calvin Ridley or whoever that guy is, right? Um, it could be T. Higgins, somebody in that vein. Um, I don't hate that idea. I, I don't. And then, you know, Elijah Moore is going to be in the last year of his rookie contract. So there, there's going to be, there could be some turnover there. Um, so I, I just think it's, I think they'll attack one of those spots. Early, because that's how Andrew Barry is. Even though, even on the years he says he's not going to be super aggressive, like last year they went and got Tomlinson, Okoronko, and Juan Thornhill, like on day one, right? So I don't know if it'll be three guys like that, but I'd be stunned if it wasn't at least one and maybe two guys that you said, if not their starters, their part, key parts of the rotation that they're spending legitimate money on. And I would assume it's of it's from those three spots we talked about. Do you think they have a number in mind, Scotty, on what they want to pay the backup quarterback, or are they convinced that their draft pick, DTR, will be their backup quarterback next year? I don't think they're convinced that DTR is the backup quarterback. Um, firstly, I don't think I don't see how they could be convinced, right? Yeah. Given how he played, and I know it was a small sample size, and he did get better, right? He got better from, you know, that – 
debacle against the Ravens when he was kind of, you know, didn't expect to start and was forced to start. Um, he played better against Pittsburgh. He showed a little bit in Denver, but not enough, right? Like, not enough to say if Deshaun Watson misses six games next year, you'd be convinced that DTR could go in and win three or four, right? And, right. It's, and it's such a question mark with Watson coming back from the shoulder injury that I, I just think you have to treat that position as some kind of premium. So I don't think they think DTR is the answer. And that might have changed. Like, when they drafted him, I think they thought, okay, 2024 – DTR can be the backup, and now circumstances have changed. They've seen him more, and Watson got hurt, right? So, and I think they do have a budget in mind, and I don't know if that's $4 million a year. I don't know if it's $6 million a year. It's probably not much more than that, and you know, I think they have a short list, and I think Jacoby Brissett's on that short list. I think Joe Flacco's on that short list. I don't know what kind of money Gardner Minshew would command, you know, but I think it's that kind of player you need, given the uncertainty, in, at least in my mind, the uncertainty involving Deshaun Watson. Who would you rather have back, Scotty Petrak, Joe Flacco, or Jacoby Brissett? That's a tough one, Kenny. It's a tough one. I'm trying to fight the recency bias. Um, and, and I'm going to say Jacoby Brissett. I think he fits better. And not that Joe doesn't fit, because Joe Flacco is great in that locker room. Jacoby and Deshaun Watson have been around each other, right? They were together for parts of 2022. Um, I think Jacoby could fade into the background. Not that Joe couldn't, um, but I think it might be easier for Jacoby to do that. Now, Jacoby's still looking to start, and Joe's looking to start, which is a problem because they might both look to go to a team that needs a bridge quarterback, or you have the option, you have the chance to compete for a starting job. Um Right, even in Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh wants competition for Kenny Pickett. That's what you know. That's what the Steelers say. Um, yeah. No competition here, so I think that limits your market when you're looking for that backup quarterback. Having said that, you know I think Brissett has more has more life in him than Flacco does, um, and I really like that. Coach Brissett played with the Browns in 2022. I thought he was fantastic, and he gave him a shot to win a bunch of games that I didn't think he would. Scotty, for me, uh, great story about Joe Flacco, right? Really was. But, and I was the, the one saying, don't sign him. He, he's past his prime. And uh, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it did in the playoffs. And I think, unfortunately, that, that that is what you would get more down the road with Flacco than what you got in the 4-1 and one regular season game. So, for me, I'm with you, Jacoby Brissett, because he's familiar with the offense already. And if he has checked his ego at the door and realizes he's not a starting quarterback, that he would be the ideal fit in the locker room where there wouldn't be that uh, looking over your shoulder if you're Deshaun Watson, like there might be with Flacco, uh, as well as when he'd get out on the field. I just think he would be the, the per. And if you're a Super Bowl contender, which they think they are, don't you need to have somebody like that? I certainly think you do. And I, I think teams learned last year that you do. Early. Yeah. You know, at least that's what the evidence points to, right? Teams might still think, hey, that's an aberration. We saw it in Cincinnati, right? And Dick Bryant played well when Burrow got hurt, but they didn't have an answer when Burrow got hurt, right? They didn't, they didn't think they needed one. And I think you can look that way. You know, you can argue that with the Browns, right? They traded Joshua Dobbs. It was DTR and P.J. Walker, right? Like, they didn't have an answer if Deshaun Watson went down. Now they figured it out, and they kind of got lucky that Joe Flacco was out there and he played like he did. But there's so many quarterback injuries – 
that I, I think teams realize, yeah, if you need a guy to either finish the season or fill in for four or six games, it's the league is too close to go, yeah, we're just going to punt on four games. You can't do it. So I'm completely with you, and I'll tell you this, Jacob Brissett is beloved in that locker room, and I think he'd be welcome back in a heartbeat. And, and you're right, there would not be the same. Like if Watson struggled in weeks one and two, you'd hear people calling for Joe Flacco. I don't yep. think you'd hear the same drumbeat from the fans if it was Jacob Brissett. Happy to have Scotty Petrak with us talking Browns football. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Petrak. Uh, Scotty, when you look at the division right now, Baltimore was the number one seed overall, right? But, again, Lamar Jackson, while they won one, they, they get beat. They don't get to the The Steelers are looking for a quarterback. They don't have one, in my opinion, a legit starter on their roster. Burrow's health is the biggest question there. Should he come back? Uh, they're a team to reckon with as well. How do you see the rosters and the quarterback position of the four teams in the division? How do you how do you rank them right now? I, I think the Browns stack up with everybody from a roster standpoint. I would give the edge to Baltimore. Uh, we saw their we saw Baltimore's depth on display throughout the season. They lost running backs early. They lost cornerbacks. They lost linemen. And they kept winning games. And right. they got healthier, and then they were unstoppable until they ran into the Chiefs. And, you know, I don't know what Todd Munkin was doing as a play caller that day. Lamar didn't have his best day. Uh, but they have a really solid roster. They filled in at receiver, right? There was always a black hole for them. Now they have Zay Flowers. Um, Rashad Bateman came on a bit. You know, Odell didn't do much for him. But um, they got a couple of guys there that I think they can count on. They found a second tight end in Likely. So, I would go Baltimore is the best roster in the division. Um, I'd probably go Browns, too, in Cincinnati, three. I think Cincinnati's got a couple weaknesses, and we saw that last year. You know, they got rid of their safeties. The young safeties weren't as good. Um, they're going to have a changeover at running back, probably, with Joe Mixon being gone. But it's good. Like, those three are close. And I think the, I think the Steelers are pretty close overall. The problem is the Steelers quarterback drags that roster down. And I, I think – you know, I would put the Browns third because Watson's clearly behind Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow. And they need him to play like those two guys, right, to be the team that they think they can be for the trade to be worth it. Um, but he just hasn't proven it yet. So, to me, it's one-two, a drop to three, and then a drop to four um, between Watson and Kenny Pickett and the Browns and the Steelers. But I think just if you take quarterback out of the equation, I like all four rosters, but I think i go Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% on that, Scotty. We're on the same page there. You mentioned Watson. Uh, we saw a story about him possibly throwing soon. What is the latest on that fractured shoulder, which is his throwing shoulder? Where is he at on, on the rehab, and should we expect him to be ready for day one? Yeah, they, they keep saying he's going to be ready day one, and I was told again this week that everything seems, if not on schedule, ahead of schedule, or if not ahead of schedule, on schedule, whatever. So right. it's good. The reports are all good. He was doing workouts in UCLA a week ago, and that was a step, right? It's a step forward. He wasn't throwing it yet, but he was back on the field or back in the weight room doing some stuff at UCLA. I think he's on vacation this week. If you watch Instagram, he's in Italy, I want to say. Uh, but he throw, he's supposed to start throwing in March at some point, which means by the time they get to the offseason program in April, he should be throwing. Now, I'm not saying he'll be throwing at 100%, but – by the time they get to you know OTAs in minicamp in May and June, I think the expectation is if he's not 100%, he's 
he's really close, and he's been throwing for a couple of months, and that at the latest you get to training camp in July, and he's full go, no restrictions, you know, full steam ahead. Scotty, great stuff as always. Keep up the fantastic work at brownzone.com, and we'll talk again next week.